welcome back to the Savage Land. I'm Jason. I'm Matt. And I'm Rachel. Okay, yeah, those those weren't their voices. Uh, the first like couple minutes of this episode uh, just kind of vanished. I guarantee it wasn't my fault. Totally wasn't my fault. How could I ever make a mistake like that? I wouldn't do that. Definitely not my fault, no matter what, for sure. Okay, it was kind of my fault. Anyway, uh, this episode we have Greg Smallwood, who is the artist. Uh, you know him most prominently from Moon Knight with both uh, Brian Wood and Jeff Lemire, and also his uh, image series Dream Thief uh, with Jai Nitz. Uh, you've seen him on S.H.I.E.L.D., you've seen him on a bunch of other books um, all over the Marvel Universe. He has the forthcoming Guardians of the Galaxy number 7 and Amazing Spider-Man number 32 uh you will join us in this interview literally like right after the first question was asked uh greg will be talking about how he balances his workload um and how selective he is about uh, the projects that he accepts so take it away greg yeah it's been it's been a challenge because there's always a lot of stuff that i want to do and now that i do have more offers coming in um being able to say that i'm a marvel exclusive you know kind of takes care of a lot of that but the covers I have a hard time saying no to because I'm like, well, you know, if I, if I just take one day off, I can <laughs> one squeeze one more in. And there's always like a character that they they want me to draw that I, you know, I feel like I, I want to kind of scratch that itch. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, I actually love doing covers. Um, if there's anything to take me away from doing interior work, it would be, yeah, just just cover work. I, you know, I could probably be pretty content just doing nothing but covers all year round. <laughs> For the rest of my career <laughs> you i mean you do draw some and i mean i guess draw you probably do you color your own covers as well as uh doing the line art yeah okay. i do yeah i i've actually i think i've yeah actually i think i've colored all of my covers uh so yeah i do the, the line art and the colors for 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 all of it yeah how but, how do you uh, approach and I, and like go ahead Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to ask, like, you, you always have, like, this really crazy, unique imagery in your covers. And so I was wondering, like, how do you approach a cover? What's your mentality going into it? Um, well, I guess sometimes, you know, the publisher will have an idea that they want you to, uh, to run with. Uh, um, sometimes it's, it's vague. You know, it's like just like a general concept. Like, we want this character and maybe this kind of background. And then that's all they give you. Some are more specific. Um, Actually, the James Bond one that people give me a lot of credit for, mm. it was actually the, the very first James Bond cover I did. They actually were very specific. My, uh, my editor, uh, Anthony, was very specific about like the gun smoke kind of wrapping around his neck and looking like it was about to choke him. Oh. And uh, so that was actually, I just had to make that work, you know, and it was a very visual um, idea. So it was actually fairly easy to, uh, to implement. But mm-hmm. um Normally, normally, um, they just say like, uh, here's the plot synopsis. Here's what we're sending, you know, the diamond catalog, uh, you know, what, you know, what do you have? And so I usually come up with one or two concepts. Um, I know a lot of artists will give a lot of different options, but usually I'm pretty set on one or two. Uh, and so I, I don't want to give them a third that I'm not really crazy about and then be stuck doing that one. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, I usually narrow it down to one or two concepts. And, and the way that I try to generate a concept is I think about, I guess, in terms of like a message mm-hmm. uh, or an idea. So um, let's see, like a, like the, I'm actually doing an Archie cover right now. Actually, today I've been working oh, nice. on one. And, um, and so then I, I think 
it's it's for the the uh, the Archie's ongoing that they just launched. Yeah, yeah. And it's the Archie's band, and they're all lined up. And um, so f- the first thing I, I wanted to do was I'd, I'd done a cover for them that had, um, you know, like kind of a rock and roll kind of vibe. Yeah. And yeah. then I thought this one I wanted to give it kind of like that indie, very slow melodic vibe, and I want so I wanted to have like a nice strong, um, uh, I don't know, indie tone, I guess, for lack of a better. But um, and so I think about like how I'm going to get that across, and I usually start with like a, a light sketch, and I I start blocking in colors because that you know color really kind of helps get tone across mm. and uh, helps sell the atmosphere of the piece, and then that just kind of helps just sort of move me along, and then I start to get ideas, and I then I start to get inside the head of the characters, like okay, well. You know, what are all these characters thinking? Like, what, what's their part on this cover? And so, you know, I have Betty and Veronica both kind of staring at Archie, and Archie is just kind of in the zone singing and playing guitar. Reggie's off in his own little space. And so, I, you know, I, I want everything on the cover to work for its own purpose. Yeah. But uh, I think, um, yeah, I just usually go for, uh, if I can go minimalist on it, I usually do because minimalist uh, covers usually are more i catching i think they usually grab people um so sometimes i'll start out with a more complicated uh cover and then i'll kind of whittle it down i'll start removing details that aren't necessary Mm. i'll start to see like oh well this isn't needed let me strip this away and try to get it down to its bare bare bones concept um but uh i don't I feel like I'm rambling. But no, no, I, I like it. Like it's 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 uh, it's fascinating. I will say, like you're between like uh, some of the recent covers you've done, like um, for obviously like pretty much every Moon Knight cover and the Black Hoods or the Black Hood cover, yeah. and um, I can't remember which. What's the the Valiant one that you're uh, that you've been doing? Oh, Bloodshot, Bloodshot, Bloodshot and yeah. and Divinity. I've done some for Divinity and and Bloodshot. Cool. But actually, you know, now that you mentioned, I for, yeah, I forget. Moon Knight is, I've been done with it now for a few months, and so I kind of forget, but, but actually there's a Moon Knight cover that would probably illustrate what I was trying to um, explain. Uh, so there was the number, I think it was number five, where he's pulling off his, his face. Oh, yeah, I love so, that cover. Yeah, yeah. So, so that one actually, um, it, was, it was pretty clear from reading the, the, uh, the script that the idea behind, it was like, I think it was even issue like four and five was like, who, like who he really is and like what is his what what's his true face and there was even a scene where in i think it was five but um you know he pulls the mask off of a off of a, a villain character and then they reveal like the you know an egyptian god you know uh, mm-hmm. crocodile head underneath and so uh the idea the message that i wanted to get across was pretty clear it was that moon knight is his true face and yeah. so then i start thinking I'm brainstorming ideas of like how I can say that visually, obviously without any kind of words. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was the, the first idea that really popped in my head. And then from there, it's then sketching a few different ideas of like, okay, like from what angle would be the best and most dynamic shot. I even started one from, from below, like a low angle shot. They didn't quite have that dynamic quality that I want. And so I, I actually moved in on them. I just realized it was just better just to focus on his face, just the head entirely and just have that hand. Um, and then once, once I knew that, then I just send it off to Marvel for like a, a approval and then they, they get back to me and, and then I do the line art and coloring and a lot of it's just, it's just kind of refining the sketch because the sketch it's, 
a lot of the work is already kind of done because I, I feel like, you know, the liner has to be very, um, uh, very tied and connected to the coloring. I, I usually don't think about them separate. So yeah. the sketch that I usually deliver to a, a publisher is, is usually pretty, pretty clear. It's, you know, pretty, um, pretty refined line art and then, uh, coloring. So, but anyway, there, that's, that's pretty much the whole process. And that was oh. actually how most of the night covers went. So that's, that's pretty cool to hear. I, I just, it's always like, it's been a curiosity of mine because it's like every time I see one of your covers, especially in, in kind of some of those series, uh, they're, they're like mind blowing and, and super like crazy wow. abstract. A lot of the times they're, you know, to do with faces in a weird sense, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah. well, yeah, I'm fascinated by, by faces. So I, I feel like, I think if you put a face on a cover, um, people are going to respond to it a lot, a lot more. Um, I, you know, I, I, I know that I did a, uh, I know that from just the response that I, I got doing a screen print uh, for Phantasm, mm. the, the film, or film. Mm-hmm. And I did just like a ice cream cone with the, the, I don't know, what do you call those, like weird spheres with the blade sticking out of them. And I oh, did that yeah. and I had like blood all over it. And I thought it was like a, I, I was really proud of myself. I thought it was a brilliant design, but people really didn't connect with it. Mm. But then I did, a, I actually, I thought, oh, well, I had, a, I had another screen print that I had to do for The Shining. And I, I didn't have a lot of time to, to, to generate a concept. So I just went with the, the first thing that popped in my head. And, uh, and it seemed pretty straightforward to me. But it was just Jack Torrance holding an axe. But people really, really responded to that one. I mean, just 10 times more than the Phantasm one. And I realized it was because of the face. Like, people would talked about, like, oh, the Jack Nicholson face. And I think, you know, since I, I do have a strength in drawing faces, and then I've realized that that's probably something I should lean on. Yeah. So, yeah, faces are always going to be probably the main focus of a lot of the work that I do. Absolutely. I am insanely envious of, uh, of your ability to, uh, to capture a well, face. <laughs> no problem. Um, <laughs> so uh, so let's, let's take it back a bit. Uh, where, did you, where did you grow up? Uh, I, uh, I was a military brat, and so I spent a little time when I was a kid. and um, I was born in Florida, then we moved to Panama City, Panama. Wow. Uh, Back in, I don't know, like the late 80s. So it was like when they were trying to get rid of Noriega down there. And uh, that was kind of weird to be there. And then I think my dad at that point decided, my my parents both decided that they wanted me to, to kind of grow up in one town, you know, and have an actual hometown. So then they moved to Leavenworth, Kansas. And uh, he retired there. And uh, I think I moved there when I was in second grade. So that's pretty much my hometown. And uh, see, so yeah, I growing up in, in, the, in the prison town of Kansas, um, they've got the federal penitentiary up there. And so, you know, the references, the only references I ever hear in pop culture for Leavenworth are always, you know, like you know, sending them up to Leavenworth for jail or something like <laughs> yeah. that. We've got a lot of famous, famous prisoners. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I, I, I live in Lawrence, Kansas now, which is the home to KU. And so that's about 45 minutes away from, from Leavenworth. And we're about 45 minutes away from Kansas City. So it's all really close. And so all the Kansas City creators I know and uh, I see pretty frequently. Who's uh, who else is out there in Kansas with you? Um, let's see. We've got uh, Jason Aaron. Oh wow! And um, Dennis Hopeless. Mm. And then uh, let's see, Kyle Strom, the artist of uh, of Spread. Mm. And then also got Buster Moody, who um, probably most recently did um, uh, some Ninja Turtles work, oh. and then uh, Godzilla. Uh, did some Godzilla for IDW, and then 
Oh, we've got um, Adam Smith and Matt Fox. Mm. Uh, they are known for their um, their book published by Archaea, uh, Long Walk to Valhalla. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm probably forgetting a few people. <laughs> it's uh, all good. You don't, have, you don't have to remember all well, of them. I mean, they're not important. And then, of course, here in, here in Lawrence uh, is Jai Nitz, who is my uh, oh, co-creator yeah. on uh, Dream Team. So we both live in this. Actually, he lives literally like five minutes away from me. Oh, so. wow. Okay. That's, that's, yeah, that's interesting. So. I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, yeah. Of, of all those Kansas uh, creators, who is just like the worst one to hang out with? Like, who do you just avoid at all costs? <laughs> uh, they're, they're, they're all terrible. I hate them all. So. Oh, so you want to give out their addresses and yeah, all yeah. that? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, wonder, I mean, like, Jason Aaron, I feel like he has no business being in Kansas. Shouldn't he be living like in Mobile, Alabama or something? Yeah, I know. It is weird. It is weird. I actually, I don't, I actually don't know like why he was here rather than, than there. Uh, you should ask him. You should go up to him sometime and be like, Hey, why are you here? He's a very reserved guy. So isn't that where, isn't that where Roxon put Asgard when it came to earth? I think there's a connection guys. Oh yeah. Is that really? Oh, okay. Yeah, I I think so. So I'm kind of out of the Uh, I don't read any of my friends' work. I'm like, I don't read you guys' stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, nobody reads Jason Aaron anyway. It's fine. He doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. So certainly not us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um. Well, so when when did you start uh, getting an interest in comics, and and kind of what was the what was the comic that did it for you, if there was one? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I think um, the comics have have been there since the beginning. My my dad grew up reading like classics illustrated and then uh and then that was it for a long time until he he lived in arizona and there was a comic shop there this is before i was born and he went in there just you know i guess on a lark and then found all these cool comics he was really attracted to him for the art Mm. and uh got into like fantasy art too really got into that and uh and so then when i was born i don't know he was just putting comics in front of me um i think the earliest stuff that i read were the those little mini comics that they put in the superpowers action figures for DC. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I think probably my, probably the ones that I really got into at the beginning were, yeah, probably those, those DC comics. And so then I got really into those DC characters. Um, and then my dad was really into, uh, the rocketeer and Xenozoic tales. And so then I got into it. So my dad was into it. And so those, those kind of solidified, probably in my mind, like what a comic should look like. Uh, and then from there, you know, I went through like an image phase and I got really into like spawn and savage dragon. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then, um, and then as I probably got into my twenties, started going back and finding work that, that was done way before I was, you know, uh, reading comics. And that's when I started looking at the past. My dad was really in easy comics and, and all of those guys. So it was really easy to, just go to him and be like, well, you know, what, what do you recommend dad? And, you know, he put like EC libraries in front of me and, um, you know, work Al Williamson. And, uh, then I got into Frazetta and I just kind of, you know, I just, you know, you, as an artist, you start to you just, once you become obsessed with this idea of like your style and like, you, you've got to develop a style, you start looking everywhere for it. <laughs> and that's kind of what I did. I mean, I looked everywhere and I, I got into different artists and, went through phases where I drew like Mike Allred and then I went through a phase where I drew more like, you know, I like a Joe Madura or Ed McGinnis, oh, you know, wow. and I was just kind of 
playing around with all kinds of different styles. And then, and then I think probably the last phase that I went through was, um, was like my Chris Somni, Alex Toth kind of phase. I started adopting more minimalist stuff into my work just to speed it up. Yeah. Um, like what they were doing. And then at some point, like, like right before dream thief, it just kind of like, it all kind of clicked. And I started drawing without really looking at anybody's work. Mm-hmm. And it was like this mixed smash of, of everybody that came before. And, uh, and then it's still kind of developed over time. I think if you look at like the first issue of Moon Knight, well, even like if you look at the very first issue I did with like the with the the Brian Wood run, yeah. And then you look at my last issue of of Moon Knight with Jeff Lemire, it's pretty different. But it's not like really like a conscious thing. I'm just kind of just doing it, you know. And then if it if it starts to change, it, it just starts to change. Yeah, it just kind of develops over time. That was uh, yeah. that was something that that I find is interesting. Like it's not not many artists get the chance to. Uh, do a run on a character with a certain writer and then come back to that character later, uh, with sort of a different writer and a different tone. Yeah. Um, what was, was that? Weird. That was really weird. How did that come yeah. about? And like, what was your, what was your approach to that? Um, well, so I, as soon as I was, I was close to wrapping up, uh, the Brian Wood run, um, my, my editor, Nick Lowe started telling me like, Hey, um, I didn't have an exclusive at that time. So I could have like, you know, just gone on and do something else. But, Nick said, hey, I, you know, I have something in mind for you, so don't go anywhere. Hmm. I said, okay, cool. And I started, like, brainstorming ideas. I was like, well, maybe it's Punisher. Maybe it's Daredevil. And I was like, who would it be? You know, <laughs> and I, I could not I, – I, like, I remember talking about it with my wife, like, constantly. Like, who, who they, who they, you know, what character are they going to put me with? But uh, I was – I think I was shocked as anybody. I got that call from Nick. He said, hey, I can tell you what it is. And he was like, it's Moon Knight. And I was like, what? Really? And I, I think at first I was – it was like this weird mix of like disappointment because I, it, you know, it was like the last thing that I was expecting and I hadn't prepared for that. Yeah. But then also I was thrilled because I didn't feel like I got to, I don't, I still feel like I'm warming up on Moon Knight. Like I feel like I'm just still like kind of finding my rhythm, you know, and finding like exactly how I want to draw him. Really? I still don't feel like I, it, you know, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, I, w- I would love to keep working. I actually, I actually pestered Marvel about staying on Moon Knight, but they've got other plans. So, um, yeah, I, I, I honestly would, I would stick with that character. I, I think um, it, it was, uh, it was actually a fairly easy adjustment because once I got a Jeff Lemire script for Moon Knight, it was, uh, it was just completely different, and I didn't, and and plus there wasn't really any Moon Knight in it, and so I just approached it as I would, like the first issue of of anything that's completely, you know, new and different. Um, and then by the time, you know, I actually started drawing Moon Knight, which was like maybe like the third or fourth issue, mm-hmm. uh, the story kind of dictated how my approach would be. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't really think much of it. I mean, both of these stories are very, I mean, it's Brian Wood's run was, Brian was doing something where he was trying to, he was doing a little commentary rather than like, focused directly on Moon Knight. He was kind of doing like a socio-political commentary. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff was a lot more focused on Moon Knight and trying to delve into like who this guy is. But he was more trying to say something about like mental illness because it, I mean, in the end, Moon Knight kind of ends up in the same spot as he was before. Yeah. But there is something, there is like a, a difference in the way that he approaches his, his mental illness. So yeah, it just, it felt, it felt like, different runs as far as how it like came together i guess that was from what i've been told or what i heard from jeff it was like a it was like an axel alonzo thing he told jeff that he wanted me to to uh 
to, to be his artist on Moon Knight. And Jeff at first was hesitant because he was like, well, he's, he just got off, you know, of, of Woods Run. Yeah. And there's only one there. There was only one arc in between. Yeah. But the... uh, but Axel, you know, like he's he was, uh, you know, he finds he finds artists that he likes and he really sticks behind him. And uh, and he did that with me. He said, no, no, I insist like this guy's this guy's good. I think he's what you need. And so that's kind of how that came together. That's really cool. I, uh, I I loved seeing kind of how the the approaches differ because obviously like your stuff in the Brian Wood run was was awesome and it was I feel like when you went into the Brian Wood run it was right on the tail of uh, the Warren Ellis Declan Shalvey run and so mm-hmm. you know in keeping Jordi Belair on the colors and kind of some of that design language mm-hmm. having Declan do the cover uh, do the covers um, there was some you know sort of like consistency where it was it felt like your your art was its own style but at the same time like very uh you know kind of like laid out similar to how Declan was doing his you know sort of like the white yeah. screen paneling well, yeah, and stuff that was, yeah, yeah yeah you're you're definitely picking up on what I was doing i mean i was it was intentional i was definitely trying to to stick with what Declan had had been doing um so i used a lot of widescreen formats and that kind of stuck actually i once I started doing that, I kind of liked it, so I, I kind of kept it, <laughs> um, even on on uh, the Lemire run. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was really that was that was tough, you know, because I I didn't really get a whole lot of opportunity to to read about Moon Knight or dig into the character. I just had to start immediately, and then like as soon as I said yes, um, you know, like it felt like it was really quick after that that they announced it and they even solicited it at that time. And so um, those issues were done pretty pretty quickly. Um, some of them were done, you know, in about four weeks, which wow. is uh, not not always the case anymore. Usually they give you a lot longer. But, um, yeah, I mean, like the first issue of the Lemire Moon Knight, I think I took like <laughs> they, they want they probably wanted me to do it in like, you know, a month and a half. And I think I took like four months. I'll take if you give me like a year to finish one issue, I'll take that full year. <laughs> I, I'll just, just rework it and, and work it. And, yeah, just the death. But, um, yeah, with with. Um, with that first one with, with Woods Run, uh, I was just focused mainly on, I don't know, I guess just the, the idea that this is my first Marvel comic and I wanted to get it done and, and turned in on time or relatively on time. And I wanted to kind of keep Declan's motif going, you know, visual motifs that he had started. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, once once I started the Lemire Run, that would kind of all... They could go out the window. I obviously kept a lot of it. I really liked what Declan and Jordy had done with the, the flat white, you know, the negative space, their use of negative space. And I thought, I actually, we can push it even further. And so, um, you know, I did that. And I think um, I started to notice that uh, it was around that, that time that I started on the Lemire run that uh, people responded more to my work when I had more lines. Hmm. And, I, and at that point I heard a quote, I think it was, I think it's attributed to, Jim Stranko, but he said something like kids or lines, kids love them um, in reference to like highly detailed line work. Oh, yeah. Like and the yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. People really respond to that. And so that was only the only really that was the, the major conscious decision that I made when I started doing uh, the Lemire run was like to, to put a little bit more line work in there. I sort of look back on the, the wood stuff and I was like, oh, man, I, it's very it's it's a little maybe too minimalist at times. It's very like a uh, very simplistic style. I thought I need to put a little bit more detail in my work and mm. uh, yeah. And that was probably the to be honest. That was it's a very superficial thing. That was probably my biggest 
uh, change, I think, between the two runs was I was like, I'm going to put more detail in. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's, was, it worked. I mean, and, and we like I know that we have a bunch of like in the weeds questions about like your specific process and stuff like that. But we'll save those until like, you know, later after we kind of get more of the, uh, you know, idea oh, of who yes. you are as a person. Mm-hmm. We want to, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like it's like there's the self-serving questions where we're like, oh, how does he do this one specific thing? You know, <laughs> we got like a, and we have a bunch of artists who listen to the show. And so they always love those process questions. Okay. Um, but before we get into that, I still I, I'm you know curious about kind of what led you down your uh, your path. Um, did you have like a, a sort of favorite artist growing up? Like, was there that one artist that like no matter what you would read or follow? Oh, uh, there were probably a few, um, you know, and there was always, you know, I'd go through phases where one would kind of climb to the top of the heap and then I would really be into their work. But, um, like I mentioned before, uh, you know, with, with Rocketeer and Zenzo Tales, there's mm. Dave Stevens and Mark Schultz that I really got into. And those became like, um, I think, uh, pretty iconic in my mind. My dad was really into Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. He did a lot of the, oh, yeah. uh, the, uh, yeah, the uh, the character guides and stuff like that. For yeah, DC he comics and he designed the DC stuff. universe. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, when you think of, I mean, especially if you're a kid that grew up in the the 80s and early 90s, I mean, you're gonna probably think of his version of Superman and Batman because it was on the mm-hmm. bed sheets, it was on the the thermoses that you know we take to school and stuff like that. I mean, it was all his, all that DC licensing work was his, but. On top of that, I mean, and the reason why they got him to do that is because he's because he's just amazing, and he's his interior work though is um, is is a, it's just it's just kind of mind blowing. I think especially when you you really start doing it as like I, I know doing it as a living, and then I look at this guy's work, I look at Garcia Lopez's work, and I'm like, man, how's he? Do? It seems like magic. Yeah. Um, and so he's been one that's always been there, but then kind of grown over time in my mind to where like now I think if someone were to say you know, who's your favorite? It'd probably be Garcia Lopez. But yeah, going through, if I could run through like a list, it'd probably be like, there's, there's definitely a time where I went through like a big Mike Allred phase. Mm, I was like, yeah. Allred, and I wanted to do comics like Mike Allred. And then I went through a, um, I went through a Todd McFarlane phase where I was like, loved all that, like super scratchy, like little detailed rendering and his inking. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then when he started working with Greg Capullo, it was like Greg Capullo pencils and Todd McFarlane inks. I was like, that was like, that was, that was it for me. I thought that was so perfect. And then, and then I got out of that, and I think I, I went through like a Jeff Smith phase. Mm-hmm. I was always attracted to like stylized guys, who, you know, very simplistic guys. Um, and I would usually alternate, so I'd go into like heavy detail. Then I'd, then I'd be like, oh, I don't want to do all this, and I'd peel back and get into somebody who was doing it a little bit more simple, mm-hmm. um, lines cleaner, and uh, yeah. So I went through. Probably those like major phases when I was younger, yeah. Definitely the Todd McFarlane phase. Definitely the Mike Allred phase. But there were always guys like along the way that I, you know, I really got into. And then probably in my twenties, um, a lot of the uh, comic strip artists from the uh, uh, mid-century like suddenly became um, a lot more influential on my work. So guys like Leonard Starr and. Uh, and even Al Williamson and uh, mm. Stan Drake. So a lot of those guys, I, I sort of become fascinated with how they drew clothing. That became something that was tricky when you start drawing like a crime comic, you know. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it was something that I was paying attention to before that. But yeah, clothing, you know, like I wanted to do comics that were just about everyday people. And 
And in order to accomplish that, I had to be good at drawing clothing. And that's something that um, you're not really prepared for if you're just looking at like superhero comics all the time. Absolutely. So, yeah. And they're, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I started going back and looking at those guys and then EC comics. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, uh, unless I'm forgetting somebody big, I think those are my big ones. I, cool. you know, um, yeah. <laughs> no, you're, you're good, man. I, I, I love hearing it. Like, it could be more different. I, I, it feels like I'm just all over the map, like Todd McFarlane and Mike Allred. I don't know if you can get <laughs> well, it's, accurate it's, anymore. But. It's kind of funny because, like, you say that, and it's like, yeah, those guys are complete polar opposites. But it's like, when I, when I look at your style, I can kind of see, like, you know, like if, if I were to, you know, put, you know, Todd McFarlane and Mike Allred in a pot and kind of stir it around. I think you know you can you can see where some of the sort of blends yeah. and influences can come in. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it's still in there. I mean, and there are times where like someone will mention something like someone. I've heard a couple of times actually, more than once on more than one occasion, someone's told me that their work, my work, reminds them of Daniel Kuna, which I don't see at all. But I I I love that guy's work, and there was a time when I like I started trying to adapt a few things into my work of his. Like I I like the way that he used line and color in unison. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you might be, I think I can see it a little bit when I look at my cover work because mm-hmm. I'm doing colors and art at the same time. But I never thought you could see that, like not in a million years. But, you know, I know that I, I definitely think about Todd McFarlane when I'm drawing a cape, you know, like I, oh, yeah. I'm definitely thinking of Spawn when I'm sitting there drawing a Moon Knight cape kind of, you know, billowing in the wind. And if you're drawing like a you know a, a giant like a spider web flying at the camera, I'm sure you've got a lot of Todd McFarlane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just like enormous muscles, either one. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, when when did you start drawing? I mean, was that like a thing that you had always done, or was it inspired by reading these comics, or what? No, it was it was a thing that I always done. I I I mean, I don't even remember when I started. I mean, my my parents. Uh, you know, my mom was really good about keeping all of my art. So I've got art that that I did when I was, uh, you know, like two years old and three years old. Oh, <laughs> like it's, wow. Uh, it, yeah, it's pretty insane to like see. But I can tell, like I can tell, like, oh, OK, like there's something there. It wasn't just like, oh, I worked really hard to get one on that. Like there was there was talent that I was born with that I can't really take credit for. It's there at the beginning. And uh, and uh, I don't know, I guess I to be honest, it's 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 kind of weird when I stop and I take a look back because I, um, I always like had it in my head that I was going to do comics. Mm-hmm. Even when I, like I kind of, uh, you know, went through this weird like phase in my twenties where I didn't really feel like working hard at anything. I just kind of, you know, I just, you know, went from one job to another, but I always had it in the back of my mind, like, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get my, my act together. I'm going to start doing some comics, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I never considered anything else. I didn't go to, went to community college because I got a scholarship, but I didn't really care about college. I didn't care about any other work. I just always had it in my head that I was going to do art for a living. Wow. Eventually. So it, yeah, it never, I never considered anything else. I mean, there was, there were, there was a brief time where, you know, um, it went from comics to animation, mm-hmm. but then that's, you know, that lasted for about two years and I was, it was right back to, I'm going to do comics. You know, and it was just always, I don't know. It sounds insane, but yeah. now when I think about it, like I, I, you know, and the fact that my parents were like, "Oh yeah, you should do that." Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not even sure that I, I would be that supportive of my own child if I if they told me they wanted to do comics. I'm like, "You sure? Yeah, sure you don't want to do something." Like the, but, the uh, likelihood yeah, is is pretty minimal, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it is like it is like breaking into Hollywood. I, I always tell people that, that ask me, like, oh, you know, I want to – I get a lot of that at, at conventions where um, a teenager will come up to me with their parents, mm. and their parents will ask for them. They'll, you know, they, they're very supportive parents, you can tell. And I always tell them to, like, have a, like a plan B until the comic book thing works out. So, you know, don't go to college and, or go to art school and get a, you know, um, and get a, a, get a degree. Although that, you know, it has worked for some people. So it's not like, you know. Oh, totally, like a sequential you know, art degree or whatever. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just wouldn't do it. I, would, I think the best, you know, course of action would be to, to get like a, you know, to get a degree that could get you a day job and then pursue the comics on the side. But um, yeah, it is. It's like breaking into Hollywood, and I, I, it is kind of a, you know, I don't know. I guess I just always had it. Maybe some of it's just the the confidence. Like I just had it in my head, like, oh, I'm gonna do this. I, I think my ego got deflated a little bit when I went to a, uh, a portfolio review for the first time, which was with uh, um, Bob Shrek, who oh. was I can't I don't know where he was. I think he was with DC at the time. Yeah, he probably was. Yeah, uh, it was yeah, like in 2000. And I was, I just graduated from high school and my dad, um, being the supportive parent he was, he was like, I'm going to take you to, to uh, wizard world, Chicago, cause they were doing portfolio reviews there. And so I met with, I think a cross gen editor and a Marvel editor. I met with CB Sabolsky and then I met with, uh, with Bob Shrek and, uh, and they both gave me like the, yeah, you're doing good kid. Keep it up. You know? And I was like, <laughs> and I really went there thinking like they were going to like offer me, I was like, well, maybe they'll give me an annual, you know, that'd, that'd be a reasonable place to start. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, I'll, I'll settle for an annual walking. Yeah, in I'll a settle. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did, I did have a pretty big ego. I needed to be knocked down a few pegs, but, um, but yeah. And I, but I don't know, I still didn't let it go. I just, in, so, in my mind, I was like, well, they just don't see the talent yet, you know? And I, <laughs> I just kept it up, you know? And it's not till like, I look back at my work and I'm like, oh wow. Like, of course they, said no like i wasn't ready yet <laughs> but there is there, you do have to have an ego i think to keep you know moving forward yeah um yeah so according to the uh, according to the comic book db uh the dream thief was not your first comic uh it's uh, according to this you did a day of the dead uh the rising of bub story like in 2006 it was just the cover actually i was i was gonna do okay. the interiors on it but um, yeah, that was it. Was a uh, they seem like nice guys, but um, but it, it was a very odd situation for me, and I mm. I was pretty slow, like really like painfully slow. And then they solicited it, and I was like, oh oh okay. And then I like, I think I got about you know I, I was about halfway done, and then they were like, well we got to get this out, and I said, well guys, I don't think I can finish this, you know, and and uh, and so I just ended up doing the cover for it. But then they uh, they hired somebody else to to do the miniseries. It didn't actually. It's funny because they 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 let me go because they because uh, they needed to get it. You know, they needed to get it out. It had been solicited and they couldn't mm-hmm. be late. And I think the first didn't come out until like a year later. So wow. I guess they probably could have just kept me on. I think I could have gotten it done <laughs> a year. Could've I was just it. working at like a yeah. I, well, it was nice because I had a job at a cell phone store that nobody came into. So I was the manager. So I could just draw while I was there. I was just working on pages while I was technically doing work for somebody else. But uh, that's a yeah, it didn't pan out. That and that, but it did teach me a few lessons. I, I mean, I because I, 
you know, you know, about payment and, you know, what to expect and mm-hmm. maybe going into like smaller publishers and thinking like, instead of going in with the mindset of, well, I, you know, I need to get paid for this, like just going in to do the work and maybe the pay is just kind of a secondary thing because you just kind of have to accept that you're not going to make any money at this. And, you know, and, and a lot of the smaller publishers are kind of like, you know, just flying by the seat of their pants, you know, they're just, they're, you know, they're not, they're, they're not making a ton of money either. But, um, yeah. but yeah. And, and I think at that point I realized that maybe I wanted to not work that way in and just, um, I think that's when I kind of started to develop the game plan of, uh, I just want to get like, sounds, it sounds like egotistical again, but <laughs> I want to get so good that like the, the, the mainstream publishers can't ignore me, you know, like it would be stupid to hire me. Like I, that, that was what I said in my mind. Like, I'm going to do, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to go all in. And I think from the experience of meeting with the editors, you know, in Chicago in 2000 and then doing that, you know, the experience with the the day of the dead comic, um, that's when I decided I was going to do line art and colors and letters. I was going to learn how to do all of that. So I could be, I could deliver finished work and then hopefully be a little bit more impressive. I felt like people weren't as, blown away by pencil samples mm. you know they but they they seem to really respond to finished work you know like they didn't have to use their imagination and i started to get the idea and I, the idea started to develop at that point that most editors don't have imagination um <laughs> I, I i still think that's the case i fortunately i've worked with editors that do have an imagination <laughs> they are able to see it but um but there are a lot that don't and uh sometimes you need to show them a finished product i do that that's why i mean that's another reason why i deliver fully you know like rendered cover sketches I, i've noticed that uh, if i turn in a black and white cover sketch mm-hmm. it's just less to get approved right away they usually want more tweaks and stuff like that mm-hmm. if i do deliver something a little bit more finished uh i more often than not i get a green light so interesting weird but yeah yeah that's good to note. And while we're on that topic, let's just run down the list of every editor that doesn't have an imagination, just to be clear. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All of them. No, I'm just kidding. Uh. Um, but uh, so so then basically it's, you know, seven and a half years, uh, you know, after that Day of the Dead thing where, you know, like you're talking about kind of working on developing that style and getting to that point where you feel like they... Uh, yeah, they'd be stupid to turn you down. And then in, in 2013, uh, Dream Thief comes out. How did that project come come about? Well, um, so yeah, during that, gosh, I didn't realize it was seven years. I wasted so much time. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I, I think I was just, yeah, I was just working away. I, I started doing, um, I started working at a ad agency here in, in uh, Kansas City. Oh, cool. And they hired me just they, they found out that I could draw and they were in like a deadline mode and they were like, we need something. We can't contact our normal storyboard artists. Can you do it? And I did it and they paid me a lot of money for it. And like, I, and I remember just thinking like, Oh, I really need to get serious about this again. Like I like getting money for drawing. <laughs> like, fun. And, um, and then I got, I got laid off and they didn't have a ton of work for me as a freelancer. And so I just decided like, I'm going to just start doing whatever work I can. And, uh, I actually, uh, pestered my parents to like stay with them for a year and I was just going to work my butt off. And, and I did, I, uh, 
I did a, um, I, I entered a bunch of contests. Frank Cho had a contest on the image boards for uh, 50 Girls 50, and I entered that. Oh, cool. Um, I sent, I sent uh, samples off to, to everybody that I could. And then I even did, um, the thing that got me noticed was I did a, an entry for the Zuda Comics competition back when DC had Zuda, um, their Zuda comic website. And the way that that worked was every month they would have, I think, eight uh, or five, maybe, actually, you know what? I think it was like 10. I think they had like 10 contestants or 10 teams, creators, who would put like eight pages of their comic up on the website. And these were selected by Zuda. Mm-hmm. And, and then people could vote on which one of those 10 they wanted to see continue. And so um, Zuda selected one of mine, uh, and it was actually one of the last months that they were operating. Fortunately, I got, I got in right under the wire. I didn't win, but what I, would, what I did was I took a bunch of flyers to a lot of the local shops here in the, you know, in the KC metro area, so like Lawrence and KC and then surrounding areas. But um, I came to Lawrence, and I dropped off some flyers, and Jai Nitz ended up seeing them asking about me and then got a hold of my email and shot me an email cold. I hadn't, I'd met him as a fan, but he didn't, you know, he didn't know me from anybody, but, um, he actually asked if I was available to work on a pitch. I said, yeah. And he sent me like a one page synopsis for dream thief. And, uh, and I knew at that time, like this was my ticket in, like I was working with an established creator and, you know, somebody who knew a lot of people in the industry and so I jumped at it, and I, uh, we, did a, we did a pitch. We sent it off to everybody we could, and uh, it went nowhere. <laughs> and then uh, about, a, I don't know, maybe six months, eight months later, maybe even a year later, we, uh, we tried it again. We did a second pitch. But during that time, I'd actually moved to Lawrence, uh, you know, to find work as a, you know, doing the day job. I used up my year at my, at my parents' place, so... Um, yeah, I moved to Lawrence, and I started to get to know Jai, and then we started to discover that we had a lot of similar interests. Like we weren't just like just two guys who could you know do a comic together. Like we actually got along really well. And so the second pitch was a lot more personal. Like it felt like it was us. Like it really came from us. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's why like with editors. So we sent it. We sent it out, and uh, we got a we got word back from from Dark Horse that they were interested. So some other publishers passed because, you know, um, I think Vertigo passed on it because they said it was too similar to the kind of the general conceit of, of iZombie, you know, where she gains memories and stuff from, of course, you know, he doesn't eat people's brains in this one. But, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the case, Dark Horse said yes. And um, and then we started on it. Like that was that was it. So my first real. Yeah, my first interior work was yeah was was Dream Thief. So it was odd because I felt like I'd done a lot of growing up, you know, with my style and everything, like all behind the scenes. Whereas a lot of comic book artists kind of develop in front of an audience, in front of the readers. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't done it. so. When it came out, it looked it looked uh, you know a little bit more polished than than you know it should have for like you know. <laughs> but but uh. But I and I but I was I was I was really happy about that. I always wanted my like my first work to be, you know, to not, not look like my first work. Yeah. So um, that helped get me a little bit more noticed, and uh, and I just went from there. You know, we I you know I met Nick at some point, Nick Lowe, and 
we talked about doing work together and then um then we you know we did dream thief 2 and then and it was in the middle of that that nick low asked me about uh moon knight with brian wood so there you go and then yeah and then from there so i haven't really been working in comics that long i mean i or at least i i haven't done that many projects you know it's just dream thief half of dream thief escape and then it's been moon knight since you know? <laughs> yeah and and uh so i'm i'm curious about a, a lot of things on moon knight because uh when you're going when you're going in and and especially on the the lemire run um you did a lot of crazy kind of stuff with layouts and so and and i mean obviously with with a lot of different things but what is your process typically like uh especially on that book but even in general when you get the script how do you usually break it down and decide where you're going to go with these layouts and, and visuals. Yeah. Um, the layouts, that was, that was something that, uh, I was, uh, I, I started doing on, on dream thief just because I felt like my work was, and, and the comic itself was, uh, understated, you know, it was just about people, just, you know, people in these extraordinary situations, but it wasn't really a flashy book. And so I wanted to have something, grab your eye and so i started doing these you know weird layouts and at the time i i was uh um i'd really gotten into uh loose ends which was coming out for the first time uh it was being published by 12 gauge and that was latour writing and chris brunner drawing and rico renzi doing colors and uh i was looking at that and and there's there's a lot of really inventive stuff in there use of icons and kind of like emojis and stuff like that and i and and his layouts were interesting. I really liked the way that he, he lay out the book. And uh, and I I just took it to an extreme and you know borrowed a lot from that. Uh, and uh, and I was looking at a lot of J. H. Williams too uh, to kind of get inspiration on how to create some interesting layouts. And then from that point, like it kind of stuck. Like people just started associating me with like cool layouts. And I was like, well, now I can't, I can't you know I can't start getting lazy i have to keep that up yeah um and and it's actually it's i find it now it's easier to do like a weird layout than a traditional one just because um when i look at my more traditional layouts they seem kind of static to me and i do think that like i do have an understated style so it, it helps to to uh to make things a little bit more snappy with a with a cool layout yeah. in terms of how i'm actually doing it it's because i work digitally uh, I can, I've got like, uh, these shapes, shape layers that, uh, work as panels. And I just, I, you know, I'm literally just moving them around on the page until I get, I get a, a layout that works. And I'm kind of thumbnailing as I go along. I usually do like little quick thumbnails of the panels mm-hmm. on the script. Itself. I'll print out the script and do little thumbnails. And so I know, I know what kind of the panels I'm looking for. I'm like, okay, well this one will probably need to be a horizontal you know, a long widescreen type panel and this one will need to be, you know, and then I just kind of improvise and, and mesh them all together in Photoshop. And then once I've got the layout set, uh, then, um, yeah, from there, I mean, I I start going in. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, uh, you know, I start shooting uh, photo reference or I build models. Uh, so like there's a background, you know, for like the subway stuff and Moon Knight, I had a SketchUp model Mm. that I'd used downloaded a, a subway model and then I kind of added to it and, and messed around with it and made it my own thing. And, uh, and so then I'll drop those into, uh, the Photoshop and, uh, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, literally kind of trace over a lot of it. 
And then once I've got like, um, and even some of the, yeah, even the photo reference I'll kind of trace over. Mm-hmm. So that way I've got kind of the basic down. Yeah. And that's kind of like my pencil. If, if, if I get equated to anything, it's like my pencils. And then I go in and, and I refine it with, with inks. And so sometimes um, that's where like a lot more of the energy comes in or, yeah. you know, the, the facial expressions. Those That's when those really kind of, um, yeah, come in. I think it's... Uh, is during that inking stage. Yeah, so yeah, like, I, I usually I it's a gonna, lot, of, a lot of planning, a lot of improvising, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, it sounds like you, uh, you have a a very similar process to um, Mitch Garrett's, you know, kind of using using photos, uh, using oh, yeah. models. Yeah, yeah, I actually I, I stole a lot from uh, Tony Harris. He oh, he yeah. posted like his process, and then um, I learned how to do a lot of digital stuff reading. Actually, I reading the book by um, uh, Freddie Williams. He did that. He did a book called, uh, it was under that DC how-to book oh, yeah. uh, that they put out. And his was, you know, how to draw comics digitally the DC way or something like that. Oh, interesting. And, I didn't uh, even know that that but, book existed. I like I, I read like the uh, the Denny O'Neill writing book and right, like a, a regular yeah, drawing yeah. one. Um, I didn't know that a it's digital drawing one existed. Yeah, you don't see it as often, um, which is a shame because actually it's, I, it's actually the most instructional. I mean, I, um, it's actually, I, it's, uh, my buddy Jai's always got this line. He, he loves the line in uh, Beetlejuice where, you know, one person picks up um, the book. I think it's the, the spirit book, you know, and they're like, oh, oh, it reads like stereo instructions. And someone else picks up the same book and they're like, it reads like stereo instructions, you know, and, and I, that's like, that's me. I'm like, it reads like stereo instructions. It's amazing. I hate like the uh, more abstract you know, instruction books. I love the, the super nitty gritty, like process stuff. Like this is, you know, they have like a nice list of, you know, step-by-step directions. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I, or, and that's, I think that that digital guy that, that, uh, that Freddie did is, is, uh, probably the most thorough of all the, the books that DC published. Yeah. I'm, so. I'm like going to order that. Cause I'm, I'm definitely not an artist. I'm so much more of a writer, but I'm also like, I'm, you know, learning like the coloring and stuff like that. And I kind of figure I might do like a, a web comic that I'll draw myself. And so as I've been learning all the digital <laughs> stuff, it's like, it's like, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's so little resources for it as it pertains to comics. Um, right. You know, like even just hearing you say like that you drag shapes on Photoshop layers to do your panels, I'm like, oh, that's so like obvious. <laughs> but at the same time, like I never would have come up with that. I don't know. Right. Well, hey, well, don't. Yeah, it, it took me like three years to figure that one out. So <laughs> I just started doing it on the last the last Moon Knight run. About halfway, I was like, wait a minute, I could just use shapes. What am I doing? <laughs> so yeah, I just have shapes with a um uh you yeah, with a border around them. You know, yeah. the, the size of gutters that i have and so yeah i just lay them on top of each other or under you know and i just move them around those act as my panels that's great um yeah i'm curious about on the moon Knight run as well because obviously especially in the uh, jeff lemire run where you're focusing so much on um you know on on like the his you know sort of mental health and and kind of those abstract things like that and you guys really did a lot narratively with um kind of creating distinction between all of his different personalities and stuff for you as an mm-hmm. artist, what was the, what was the thing in the forefront of your mind, uh, as you're approaching, you know, those types of story tricks, obviously there was the part where you kind of, you know, you guys involved, uh, three other artists, but you know, leading mm-hmm. up to that and, and following up from that, like what were the things that you tried to focus on to, um, I don't know, I guess like, uh, emphasize those different things. 
Yeah. Um, well, obviously, my first go-to was then using the Sienkiewicz style, the Bill Sienkiewicz style, like the dream sequences. And that that would then, you would be, at least the reader would be aware, like, we're not maybe quite in reality, or at least the reality that is uh, taking place, you know, uh, the accepted reality of the comic. Um, and then when it came to kind of dividing up and making sure that everything was clear between his different personalities, I think... I guess in my mind, I saw each character like a little bit different, you know, um, uh, Lockley, Jake Lockley is like just a little bit cooler. So, um, you know, his posture is different. I'm not even sure. I mean, I guess it's like super subtle stuff, but, um, I certainly try that when I'm doing my like photo references. I, you know, when I, when I'll, I'll pose for something, I make sure that I get that posture down. Cause that's the most important. That's the, the underlying structure that is kind of hard to fake. And I, um, yeah, my, my posture will always be different if I'm if I'm doing like Stephen Grant or if I'm doing Mark. Mark was always just beaten down, so I usually like I draw him hunched a lot. Um, you know, I'm always drawing him like you know you know beat the crap because it, you know I want him to look like he's he's been through the ringer. Um, but yeah, probably like little visual tricks like that, uh, posture, and actually physically showing him you know, like messed up, <laughs> you know, the bandage, bandage was, a, was actually a big one. Um, that was probably the most conscious decision. Like I remember thinking at some point, like, well, um, you know, there, you know, you're going to have him facing off with his different personalities. Um, you know, besides just having his, his scrubs, you know, what, what else can I do? And, um, you know, Jeff had written in like that he would have a bandage from the nose thing. I just kept it. So I just kept it running throughout the entire run just having that bandage made it a lot more clear that you know then i could just show him and just show his eyes and his just as long as that bandage was visible i knew that that was mark and that wasn't like stephen grant and that wasn't jake lockley and then it really helped when it was mark but we were doing like flashbacks of mark because then it became and that i wasn't even expecting because that was something that we did later but i was very thankful that that i that i had incorporated because that certainly helped separate the two timelines yeah, that's it's really cool. Like I, I, I loved, um, I loved what you guys did with, I don't know, just just all those different narrative tricks. Like I think that Moon Knight was, and I, probably not even underrated. I'm sure it got a lot of praise, but like in my head, it just like there was there was so much awesome stuff that you and Jeff did with that book that uh, really just made it stand out from the rest. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, and I, I'm wondering as well, how involved were you and Jordy on that book in terms of like how the things were colored and stuff? Like, was was that more up to her? Or did you give a lot of direction for those things? How how did that process work? Most of the time, I um, I just kind of let her do her thing. I I'll send I sent her notes with every issue, and uh, um, they usually were um, fairly simple. Like, oh, this is like uh, I got you know, I use this photo for reference on this. And so like, it, you know, if it was like a marketplace. I would send her the photo reference that I, that I had of the marketplace, you know, and you know, the middle Eastern marketplace or something. Um, uh, once in a while I'd have something specific, like I'd reference maybe some work of hers. I remember there's a desert scene in like the last issue. And, uh, I, I remember her desert sequences and, uh, that she colored, and nowhere men. So I, it was weird. I sent her, you know, panels of her own work and I was like, can you do this? And, uh, and, uh, but just to, you know, give her a sense of like what I was thinking of, you know, but yeah. most of the time, 
um, yeah, I just kind of let her do her thing, you know, and I, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't like to be told how to do my job. So I try to refrain from telling other, you know, if I, yeah. I've, I've been, it's been, I've, I've actually had color work turned into me twice. Um, and not, and not Jordy's work, but somebody else and two different colors. And I, instead of like telling them, like, and it just wasn't, it wasn't working for me. And, um, and instead of like sitting there and being that guy that just goes like, well, can you change this and this and this? I was like, I just, I just said, I'm, I'm going to find somebody else or I'm going to do it myself. You know, I'm not going to put somebody else through that. So I just kind of let Jordy do her thing and, and she, she knows what she's doing. So I'm not always like, there's like, obviously there are panels and pages where I'm like, Oh, I didn't expect that. Or maybe that's not what I would have done, but, but she's the colorist. Mm -hmm. So she gets to, she gets to make those decisions and those calls that maybe I wouldn't make. And I just kind of enjoy that process and, um, just let it, you know, just let it be. And, um, I'm just grateful that I have a, you know, Eisner Award winner as my like my go-to colorist. <laughs> yeah, Jordy's you Jordy's know. not a bad colorist to have on your side. No, no, no. I no, I consider myself very fortunate. I mean, that, you know, colorists and inkers, good colorists and good inkers are really really tough to come by. Um, and uh, and so when you you find one, you just kind of have to hold on to them. Totally. Um, all right. So we're, we're, we'll get into like a few, just like specific sort of process questions real quick. We've kind of written down a list of them. Um, so we'll knock those out and then just do kind of like a, a fun lightning oh. round after that and, and, uh, let you get on with your day. Does that sound like a plan? All right. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> all right. Uh, the first one is from a listener. Uh, this is uh, Z the 27th, uh, is wondering how did the process change between issues, uh, like moon Knight number eight, uh, which was the break in issue with all the, the live feeds and some of the mm -hmm. more uh, traditional work? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I guess every issue feels like it's complete own thing. Usually when I start it, mm -hmm. I'm like, I, it, it's almost like I, I look at the script and I'm like, Oh yeah, how do I draw comics? It's, it's, <laughs> it really is like a starting over point. And so to be honest, uh, it didn't, it seems like natural, like, Oh, well, this is a completely different approach. Well, of course, you know, it feels like a different approach. There's only been a few times where I've gone from like one issue to the next. Um, and it's seamless in that sense. Uh, and that's usually because I, the, the deadline's tighter. And so I've maybe even done work ahead of time where as I was drawing one issue, I was laying out the next and, and getting it ready. And so it does kind of flow into the next, but most of the time, I've just got that one issue in my head, in my brain. That's all I'm thinking about. And so with that, that issue eight, uh, you know, I, you know, sitting, seeing that script for the first time, I mean, I, uh, it was actually exciting, uh, to see something done so differently. And, uh, I think that excitement kind of launched me into that issue. And then, you know, when you get to that usual tough part, when you're about halfway through the issue, um, you know, like I, that's just experience, just, you know, keeping me going through it. And then once it was over, um, yeah, it's just, it's almost like, well, it could be anything now. Like what, you know, it, it, uh, it, it would feel natural for it to be something completely different, I guess. Yeah. Every issue feels that way. because, you know, some, some issues I'm doing like these like widescreen panels and it just, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't feel the same as when I'm doing an issue with a lot of weird inventive layouts. It feels totally different to me. That seems strange, but <laughs> no, <yeah>. that, that <laughs> makes total sense. Um, all right. And then, uh, the, the, the next question here is from a listener, Kent, uh, at which point in your process do you add texture? Hmm. 
All right. You guys there? Oh, yeah. I'm still here. Are you there? Okay. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I guess it was connection was a little bad. A little bit of Skype. Second. Bad connection. Um, he's wondering uh, which, which, at which step in your process do you add uh, texture? Or do you typically add texture in your line work at all? Uh, yeah, that's actually probably um, the last step um of the line art usually i lay down all the line art or the, the you know the more precise line work and once i've got a good solid frame i start building in the my uh my shadows uh filling all that black ink and then i i start adding texture when needed and sometimes while i'm doing the line work i'm thinking about what texture i'm going to use and sometimes the line work dictates what texture i'll use so sometimes i i won't even know on the texture but then i get done and i'm like Oh, like this needs to be kind of separated, you know, like there needs to be a little bit of contrast. And so I use texture to, to add that contrast. Um, but yeah, I don't usually know until that line work's been put down. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, and then Rachel and Matt, I know you guys, uh, had some questions here in terms of process as well. So you guys feel free to, to shoot them on out. Um, how particular are you about how your work gets colored? Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I usually with Jordy, I'm, I'm pretty hands off. Uh, I think, I think though that you could say that I'm very particular. You know, like I, I'm not sure that I would, I would let many colorists outside of Jordy color my work. Um, I think my work is actually tough to color because I use so much shadow, and then uh, not not a whole lot of people render like I do, and so it's. I know, I just know from, from experience, like I, I took a while before, like I figured out how to color my own work and it's my own work. So I can only imagine what it would be like for, for a colorist to, to get these pages. And then, cause it, there's this weird middle ground where it doesn't quite look good with black colors, but doesn't, doesn't look with high, you know, like highly rendered colors. And so there's this weird, like fine line, you know, in the middle and, uh, and it's, that's a that's a that's a tough line to straddle, and so, um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty particular just because I've done it myself so much too. Like I have this like very clear image in my mind of, yeah, I mean I'm probably a complete jerk about colors, but, <laughs> but I, I, um, but but with Jordy, like I just trust her, and so I just let her do her thing, and um, and generally I'm I'm I mean I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty happy with what she does, I and mean, I think she, it's not what I would do, but man, I mean it's it's. It's good, and nobody, I mean, it, nobody has any problems with it. No one's ever been like, well, this sucks because Jordy colored it. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that I, sentence has I, ever been said in general. No, no, no. So I'm good with it, and Jordy's a pleasure to work with. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would consider it like a, a, yeah, a great, a great collaboration. Yeah, fantastic. I'm always, and she does stuff. She's taught me a lot about coloring, too. I've, I've definitely learned quite a bit from watching her color my work. I've, I've borrowed so much from, from seeing what she's done. And then either just ripping her off or, or just, you know, kind of playing on top of that, you know? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a callback here to something mentioned earlier in the episode. You said that uh, you've had to learn to say no. Uh, mm-hmm. um, are there characters you shy away from? Is there stuff that uh, you just have no interest in, you know, not maybe not necessarily a, a time commitment, but a, just a stylistic choice but that you're not. Stylistic. Yeah. Well, I, I said yes to a Power Rangers cover. Well, actually, two of them. I did a Lord Zed, and then I did one for like the like some kind of tie-in graphic novel that Boom did for the movie. And uh, I've, I've I never was like into Power Rangers or anything, but I I tried it out. and I knew like okay, I'm, I don't think it's my thing, and 
So yeah, I mean, I've said no to like that kind of stuff where I'm like, maybe I've given it a shot or I just know like right off the bat, like I don't connect to that at all. Um, and yeah, I have said, but usually I'll give it a shot. You know, like I, I, I did a Power Rangers cover. I tried it out to see if maybe I just enjoyed work. You know, oftentimes, you know, this, is, this is weird, but I, I like, I enjoy working on characters that I never thought I would really, you know, care about working on. Um, I actually really had a lot of fun with that Lord Zed cover that I did. I had no, I, I don't, I still don't really know who the hell Lord Zed is, but, <laughs> but he was really fun to draw on. And so much so that I actually, at the time I put it on paper because I, I was like, oh, I'm going to get this like, really looking good and it's one it's like one of the few covers i've ever done on paper um i did a few of moon knight covers on paper but most of the time i worked digitally but i had so much fun with that i just um i thought yeah i'll do this traditionally but um yeah usually the no's are like just because of time commitments you know and i it always it always kills me when i have to say no i had to say no to a an archie cover one time and i just i was just killing myself for it. I was <laughs> like oh i really wish i could squeeze it in i'd be like why did you waste so much time last week? You could, you know, you could have used that to do this Archie cover, you know, and, and, and part of that's because, you know, you, you work to break in for so long and you just take anything. And then when you, you're in the industry and you've already got a full plate, uh, your schedule's booked, but you you're like, but there's that still that, that weird nagging thing in the back of your mind saying like, well, you got to take this job. Like this is a job. It's a gig, you know? Um, and so there's, there's that. And then there's just that, just that missed opportunity. Like, Oh man, that'd be really cool if I could, if I could draw, you know, I was, I've been offered, I've been offered, you know, interior work that has gone on to like become popular. And I'm like, Oh, if only, but you know, I have to remind myself that I've gotten to work on, you know, cool stuff that is also popular. And it's just, it's just getting used to that, getting, getting used to the, the idea that you can do everything, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not uh, not easy to get used to, and I'm still I would still say that I'm not I'm not completely used to it. Um, but uh, fortunately, at this point in time, I've just maxed out my schedule and sure. still basically been able to say yes to all the cover work that's come my way, um, nice. with you know a few exceptions here and there. I do once in a while I'll tell a publisher like you know wait a month or two before you contact me again. So you know maybe I've I've obviously missed out on stuff, but at least I'm not aware of it, kind of out of sight, out of mind. But yeah, but, yeah, not easy though. Yeah, sure. Uh, and, and this is going to go back to the kind of the process stuff, but it's uh, mm -hmm. sort of something I'm more interested in. I, we could actually use this as our uh, lightning round question segue. Uh, what What do you listen to? What's your music of choice when you're when you're out there doodling? Uh, a lot of film scores. Um, I tend. I've actually a lot recently. I've actually just I've just been drawing just to, to nothing, just quiet. Mm -hmm. um, it depends. Like if I if I need to get something done, I like to zone out, and and usually music helps with that. Sure. Uh, but if I'm, a lot of times growth happens through like actual conscious thought of like what you're drawing, um, and I'm not running on autopilot during that that you know that time. And so I'm actually really thinking about what I'm doing, really thinking about every line that I'm putting down, and sometimes that can be that can really slow you down. And so uh, you know. I occasionally, you know, do like just sound out the music, and, and I guess in that regard, it's probably a lot of uh, I don't even know what you call it. It's like a, I guess that '80s synth like retro stuff that, you know, people have been doing a lot of since uh, you know the Drive soundtrack became so popular. Sure, um, the Stranger Things. 
Yeah, Stranger Things. Um, I like 80s music. I, um, you know, Depeche Mode is like a, a one that I listen to a lot. I like, I like a Depeche Mode a lot. And then I, Same here. <laughs> oh, right on, right on. Very cool. Um, yeah, you know, Fears for Fears is a, no, I, I listen a lot. I don't know, I'm trying to think. Did a lot of film hear- scores, though. I like Oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, did you hear that uh, for the new Ghost in the Shell movie, they kind of had like a, a weird, like kind of modern album that did a lot of 80s stuff. Um, there was one that was, um, oh shoot, I, now I, I'm, I'm blanking on uh, the the song. What do they what do they call that song? The words like violence, whatever. The Oh, Enjoy the Silence. Enjoy the Silence. Yeah. Did yeah. you hear that yeah. new remake they did for that song? Or the, yeah, the so remix I heard or that on the trailer. I heard that on the trailer. That's pretty cool. That yeah. So it was like, oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I actually, I think it's, I think it, it holds its own against the original, which is pretty rare. But yeah, I, yeah, I do that a lot. Yeah, I, I love, I love a lot of like the synth wave stuff that's been been coming out. That's probably by my jam. John Carpenter's music, anything that has like a John Carpenter esque vibe to it, I'm usually, I'm usually down with. So, and I guess I've listened. I, you know, John Carpenter's put out like I guess two albums pretty recently. So yeah, they're pretty um, good too. Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, I'm curious if you've ever put in an Easter egg in your art or if there's something that you drew where Marvel was like, no, you need to take that out of there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely Easter eggs. Yeah, I uh, I went nuts when it came time to show like little Mark Spector's room like when he was a kid. And I put tons of stuff in there and there was like a Conan poster and a Gremlins poster. I put in everything that I thought like, I mean, it's. I, I don't think a kid his age would probably be into all of this stuff, but I just tried to jam as much in there as I could. Like anything that I remember from my childhood um, is is in there. So like He-Man figures, and then there's like a oh, what do you call those things? The the two images, and it puts it together, and they had the little red visors that you could look into, and then you you pull the little orange lever down i cannot think of what oh, those like the viewmaster thing viewmaster thank yeah. you <laughs> yes and a little viewmaster stuff like that I, I i i hit away in there 18 poster i think is in there max headroom as well but um that's, yeah that's you know usually funny? this is the second straight mm-hmm. episode that somebody's mentioned max headroom on oh that's weird yeah that is bizarre <laughs> Ryan wood mentioned it <laughs> last episode i remember seeing I remember seeing Jim Carrey for the first time. I was, and I, I actually really liked Jim Carrey when he first came here because I was like, oh, well, he's doing like Max Headroom basically, and uh, and I became like, I think that's why I became like a little obsessed with Jim Carrey at the beginning of his career because I, you know, I he was, he reminded me so much of Max Headroom. But um, I loved Max Headroom as a kid. I was like one of those. I mean, I'm sure every kid's weird, but yeah, I would go like go around imitating Max Headroom and try to like mimic his little weird, uh, you know, uh, glitch you know, speech pattern. Mm. Which I, I'm surprised my parents didn't commit me as a child when I was, <laughs> as I think about it. But, uh, yeah, I, um, I've, I'm sure that I've talked to other Easter eggs. Like I actually, there's that, that Moon Knight cover. I was very deliberate about, I actually chose actors for the poster, the Moon Knight poster, movie poster within the cover image that, um, like Jake Lockley's walking by it is like that, um, there's the the Moon Knight poster, and I actually chose like a bunch of actors, and you can kind of barely like make them out. But uh, yeah, I stick stuff like that in there all the time. Marvel, I guess they get that stuff approved. When I was doing Dream Thief, I stuck stuff like that in there all the time. Like in Dream Thief, there's tons of like real actual Atlanta locations throughout the book. Um, 
And, you know, if I couldn't, if I didn't know about it from just doing some, like some Google searching, Mm -hmm. it was something that Jai knew about because he lived in Atlanta at one point in his life. And, um, so there's tons of that. And John Lincoln as a character is like kind of a weird mix of like me and Jai. And so all the stuff like in his apartment and all that stuff is just stuff that we would have. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as far as like Marvel asking me to, they've only asked me to take one thing out of a comic and that was, um. Oh, I don't remember what issue. It was one of the flashbacks in Moon Knight. It's the first time that uh, Mark meets uh, Frenchie after Mark gets in this like underground fight. Mm-hmm. Frenchie coaches him afterwards. And I had this like great reveal shot where Frenchie lights a cigarette and says, you know, I think we're going to be good friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, I turned it in and, uh, and my editor was like, oh, yeah, we can't show anybody smoking. So I had, to, I had to take the Aww. cigarette out. I had to, yeah, and I had to just have um, the... Uh, like Frenchie pulling off his hat, uh, and then like kind of introducing himself. It doesn't look as badass as him, like, right? but I guess they're worried about all the kids smoking because they saw it in a comic book. Yeah, yeah, I uh, guess that's a good point. I, I don't, I think it's a terrible point, but you know, whatever. I, I, <laughs> he's French. He should yeah, be smoking yeah, a cigarette. Yeah. Of course, yeah. You should just put yeah, a baguette in his hand. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like all this giant baguette. Yeah, that 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 go. Yeah. No, I, I there, there are always restrictions. There are always always weird restrictions where like um you know the James Bond, he's in the the James Bond series that I'm doing the covers for, they uh um he's actually he's up against some neo Nazis in the first couple of issues. But uh I turned in a cover image with a swastika and they're like, Oh no, we can't have a swastika. Like and mm-hmm. Someone told me that it probably has something to do with Germany. Like they want to be able to sell it in Germany, and Germany has like a ban on swastikas. You find that stuff all the time. And then there's little little things that have to do with like, you know, um, like James Bond also restriction on you can't do the uh, you can't do the the famous like looking through the barrel of the gun and and seeing James Bond. Like you can't make a motif around that because that comes from the movies and not the books, and they have a license to the books. So all kinds of weird little things. Yeah that uh yeah that huh. uh kind of restrict you as an artist which i and i hate all of them i understand you know why they're there but i uh i hate all of it so <laughs> yeah no that's that's kind of that's interesting i didn't know that that was like how the uh how the license was was laid out mm-hmm. that's cool. yeah yeah so that, that's that, that's the one drawback to working on license stuff is you always have to get approval from the licensor yeah so um and once in a while like a there'll be like a, you know, just a project that'll be, uh, it'll be tough, you know, unforeseen. Like I, you know, sometimes the licensor will just approve it right off the bat. You know, I'll do a cover and they'll be like, great, awesome, done. And other times they'll be like, well, can you tweak this? And I'll send it in. Can you tweak that? You know, and I send it in. It's just back and forth. And, and, uh, and I feel sometimes bad for the editors because they, they're put in that awkward position of having to ask the artist, you know, like, mm-hmm. damn, sorry about this, but you got to change, you know, but uh, it's just, you know, it's all part of it. You know, it's just the, the way the job is. Yeah, of course. Um, now you've, and we're, you know, we're just about done here, and, and uh, we've definitely taken uh, as much of your time as we should. You know, you're, you're busy. Like you said, you've got stuff to be working on. Um, but you've got two uh, kind of one-shot issues coming out in the next couple months. You've got Guardians of the Galaxy uh, number, what was it, number seven? Yeah. And seven, then yeah. Spider-Man, yeah. Amazing Spider-Man number 32. Uh, working on both of those projects, 
has there been like a moment for you that's like really stood out as like oh this is awesome i can't believe i get to draw this right now um or even just i think think yeah just i think it's just the overall like oh wow this is I, i know that but I had that probably that moment after I was done with Guardians and I was looking at it, I was like, this is completely different than what, what I was doing on Moon Knight. And uh and then I was very pleased about that because I, I like to show a little bit of range. I don't want I don't want to be pegged. I remember with Dream Thief at first, um, everything I was getting an offer for had to do with like crime. And I was like, well, I don't want to just do crime books and that's it. Mm-hmm. And and as I you know, as I do more and more work out there, the Archie covers have helped you know, I think put it in a lot of people's minds like i don't just have to do dark stuff i can also do light cheerful stuff um yeah and do it very well know. might i add those archie covers well, thank, kick-ass. thank you yeah yeah i think you know if, if if the um if the property is right if the characters are right then i can really i think latch on to it but um yeah spider-man i'm just digging into and it's completely different i mean every like i said every issue is very different and mm-hmm. guardians i was working from a, a script by by jerry duggan and he's He's like he works really tight. He's got these nice, tight scripts, and everything's really well planned out. And it's actually very, um, it's, it's very like uh, I don't know how to, I don't want to say it. it's like easy because it's always like a little bit of a challenge. But mm-hmm. it's 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 relatively easy compared to most scripts, you know, like to work from. He's he's thought everything through, um, uh, and uh, and so that was actually I got to focus entirely on world building and designing. Uh, the uh, the characters I you know I created these alien species and I you know I got to kind of build them from the ground up and oh, that's cool. and that was fun because it's something I don't you know usually get to do yeah that's awesome but uh, yeah Spider Man the Spider Man issue is a lot like a Doctor Strange issue it's more Doctor Strange than Spider Man Spider Man's barely in it it's mostly like Norman Osborn in the place of Doctor Strange which oh. probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense but <laughs> that's a hell of a tease sense. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, it's um and so yeah i mean i can i can tell it's it's a little bit more in my like my my wheelhouse like in terms of what i'm naturally good at mm-hmm. uh so it'll probably be pretty easy for me to um but uh yeah the 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 drax issue of guardians of the galaxy was was like both easy and then a huge challenge because then i'm also racing to try to get a handle on like drax it took me like it took me a few pages in before, like, I finally figured out how to draw Drax the way that I, you know, I kind of saw him in my mind, and uh, and so then I went back and then I tweaked the pages that I'd already done, and every every like fill-in issue or first issue is like that, you know, where you're just kind of finding your footing. So, yeah, oh, that's that's awesome, and I'm sure it's you know kind of like being on that exclusive uh, for Marvel. It's kind of cool because right now where you're you know sort of like they they have you going from project to project it must be kind of fun to be able to just sort mm-hmm. of like dip your toes into these different areas of uh of the marvel universe yeah yeah it is it is it is fun it is fun um it's uh it's a li- it's time it can be time consuming but but rewarding and um in the sense that yeah you uh you get to play around with with worlds that you don't normally and then you don't have to stick around either you know you just you do your thing and then and then get going but uh and it's also probably a good thing to do in between, you know, big long runs because then because uh, I can already feel like I'm like, I want to kind of start, you know, like a nice long project, you know, yeah. where I'm really putting putting in the work um, and building it, you know, and uh, and this kind of whets my appetite for it, I guess. <laughs> 
No, that's that's awesome, and I mean, I'm sure. At least I hope that uh, they they collect that Moon Knight run in a nice big hardcover because the art in that is is yeah, yeah. I hope so too. I asked my editor about it. He said there's a good chance, but you know, I mean, they that's that's all decided by the sales and marketing department. That's true. So. You'd yeah. think, like, you know, now that, like, Lemire is kind of, like, out of the Marvel Universe, that they might try and, you know, cash in on that as much as they can to be like, oh, yeah, we have yeah. a, a quote-unquote oh. new comic from him. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah, I mean, I, it would be great. I, I tell, I you know, I'm I'm not shy about, you know, giving them my opinion on, like, what they should do, but they, uh, yeah, they don't, they don't listen to me, so <laughs> I'll keep it in my opinion, you know. Yeah. I, I think they, they need to hear it, but, uh. Yeah, I pestered him about Midnight Suns, and I pestered him about getting a Moon Knight hardcover. But there you go. Yeah, we uh, we shall see. <laughs> uh, well, I'll keep I'll keep my hopes high. Uh, where can uh, where can the listeners find you on on the internet if they're uh, trying to to look out for your work or, or kind of watch your activity? Um, well, my my username for basically all my social media profiles is usually Savage Smallwood. Fitting. And so uh, look for me on Instagram and Twitter. I've also got a Tumblr. I think that might just be Greg Smallwood on Tumblr, but I, I don't know. Uh, I don't really update that that much. So, <laughs> um, the the, the uh, I I update my Instagram the most, and then I'm on Twitter at least every few days. I get on Twitter and post something. But awesome. uh, yeah, those would be the, the main. I'm not I'm not on Facebook, so don't look for me there. You won't find me. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no your your instagram is amazing and so obviously with you know we have a lot of artists who listen to the show and and if any of them aren't following you on on instagram right now they got to stop what they're doing and follow you because uh you've got some awesome posts there i love seeing like the sculptress thing where like you're you know sculpting out the faces of your characters and and just some of those process oh, things yeah, that you do yeah. yeah i post a lot of process stuff yeah and oh and uh i do have a, a newsletter too that i oh. i just started i've only put one out but um Hell yeah. There's a there's a post about it on my Instagram. I think it's a pinned tweet on my Twitter, mm. and I think there's a link on my Tumblr. So if there I remember correctly, so I think if you if you go to any of my profiles, you'll you'll be able to find a, a link to the sign up. Hell yeah. Um, so yeah, and uh, I'll actually be putting one out probably in about a, about a week or so. That's awesome. But yeah, that's, that's that usually has updates and like sneak peeks and stuff that you know I I don't post online so. That's fantastic. No, definitely. Uh, I'm like, I'm going to be signing up for that as soon as uh, we get off the air here. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, Very cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us today, Greg. Uh, it's been awesome. We'll definitely have to have you on uh, in the future. Um, for the listeners, uh, follow the show just like always at Savage Land Pod on Twitter and Savage Land Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can email uh, your questions just like those listeners did today to letters at savagelandpodcast.com for any future guests that we have on the show. Um, ratings and reviews, we always love them. Tune in, uh, tune in again next week. And with that, uh, thanks for joining the Savage Land. Mm-hmm.